Hi, everyone, and welcome to Talent Talks. I'm Rob Adams. On today's episode, we're excited to be joined by Juan Gaitan, CEO of Talento Human Capital Management. Today, Mr. Gaitan discusses the process an executive search firm should follow when looking for an investor or M&A activity. He then shares what Talento would be looking for in a target firm and how company culture is impacted. Juan, how are you? Nice to talk to you. Rob, how are you? Good morning. Well, things are great. Yeah, things are good here too. Let, let's jump right in. And uh, what does the process look like for an executive search firm looking to participate in the M and A and investment activity occurring across the industry? Well, I think each each firm has has a bit of a different uh, vision, right? You've got executive search firms that are are very much focused on hardening existing industry or functional practices or geographical footprints. Um, But you've also got um, executive search firms that are looking to maybe evolve their menu to become more consulting shops, or you've got executive search firms that are recognizing that executive search is one element of spend, right? That there's spend in uh, the middle management level, there's spend in the professional kind of white collar level, there's spend in the blue collar level. And so I think as companies look at their growth strategy, um, whether you're an executive search firm looking at growing within your niche or you're an executive search firm looking to expand your, your portfolio, um, that's going to kind of pivot what your M&A strategy looks like. As far as Talento, you know, our focus is, is really we're a broader human capital management firm and executive search is one of several things that we do. Um, our whole business model is really kind of birthed from helping organizations perform at a, at a different level. Um, and to be able to help an organization perform at a, at, a, at a different level, not only do you need to understand how to hire their executives, but you've got to understand their capabilities across different departments and functions and, and how to have a service offering that helps them further that, particularly from a recruitment angle. And in today's talent marketplace, you've got a significant uh, competitive um, uh, landscape that's affecting not just the executive search world, right? But your middle managers, your professional levels, your blue collar, your white collar workforce. Um, it's a new era. Um, and in this era, you know, all talent is under attack at all times. And, and we're seeing that as, as organizations with large labor forces, whether you're an airline, whether you're a hotel company, whether you're a tech company, right? When your front line um, is disrupted, um, that impacts customers and that impacts your brand. And so our whole focus is having a menu that's, has an executive search element to it, has a methodology, has a process, um, and and can compete with what these big other firms will do. Um, but we're looking at it much more holistically in terms of how do we help you recruit the folks? But then once you're in and we're at the table helping you execute on the recruiting, you know, how do we then actually look at the rest of the pieces that we learn as recruiters, as HR professionals, um, and help your business perform better? And so our criteria when we're looking at companies that we're acquiring is who are their customers? What's their reputation? Are they at the table? And if they're at the table, then we're interested in, in figuring out how can we angle additional opportunities for us to bro- drive our, our broader human capital money, because recruiting is one of six things that we do. Um, and then when we look at kind of investments, right, when you're talking about multiples based on EBITDA, on net income, you know, companies that have longer um, histories, um, 
depth in particular industries, particular functions, uh, particular geography. Sometimes you find firms that are just have massive accounts that they've been in for 10, 15, 20 years, and, and they've really been able to dominate in the financial service space, the consumer goods space, then you're able to look at different multiples, right? Is it a six? Is it a nine? Is it something else? Um, but ultimately, I think, you know, you're looking at how does this acquisition accelerate further penetration? And again, if I'm a big executive search firm, I'm looking at further penetration in a niche. If I'm a fast growth firm, I'm looking at what's, if I'm a fast growing firm with multiple service offerings, and I'm looking at how does this acquisition accelerate the platform that I'm trying to build? And then what am I willing to spend there? And so the investment community is, is looking at this industry different than they've ever looked at it before. And, and particularly, I think the executive search world where, I, you know, in, in the years that I've spent, executive search firms were because it was considered a one-time revenue hit, right? The multiples that you were able to get on direct hire placement services versus let's say staff augmentation services or RPO services, right? Were very different, right? Typically the recurring revenue of a staff aug or recurring revenue of an RPO firm commanded a six to nine times multiple, whereas a one-time permanent placement firm, whether it was executive, middle management, professional, contingency, retained, exclusive, whatever the model may be, was in that, one to three times model, right? You're now seeing these executive search firms go at, at, at multiples much closer to the recurring revenue model. And so it's a really interesting landscape there. And, and you've got to be very deliberate in the type of acquisitions that you're making and make sure that you're not just buying to buy. Uh, and I think a lot of these larger firms, their leadership teams have the pressure of public companies uh, and they have to show particular results. And so what they end up doing is they are making acquisitions that are, that are relatively accretive, right? To their bottom line that are relatively um, impactful, um, but they don't always make sense. And as you look at the integration and you look at kind of the investments, when you're looking back uh, many years, it's uh, there's always a question of, was that a good deal or not? Sometimes the, the host doesn't need to add a single thing. Well said, Juan. A lot of good stuff awesome. in there. <laughs> what is the reason for the increased interest over firms to merge or acquire other firms within the industry? And why are investment banks and PE firms investing more in talent and the search process? So I think the increased interest is a byproduct of, you know, you've got, you had like pre-pandemic talent marketplace, right? And you had particular, you know, um, let's say employee audiences, right? That were like tech has been roaring for quite some time, right? Finding good software engineers, engineering leadership, executives. Um, that's been kind of a trend, frankly, for for quite some time, right? Um, when, when you start to look at, you know, why firms are interested in that in that marketplace for so many years is because you already knew that technology was going to supersede many of the existing ways of doing business in so many different industries, right? Whether it be automating a bank, whether it be a menu at a quick service restaurant versus, you know, placing an order, whether it be intelligent automation in a manufacturing, right? So technology kind of roared, but now what's happened is post pandemic, you've now have this talent landscape that's completely shift. And so, the interest in needing partners to do what firms like Talento or other other um, recruiting, human capital, consulting firms do, because um, you're in a highly fragmented industry still, right? You still yeah. buy different services from different players. I think there's an understanding of fragmentation and, wow, there's an opportunity to consolidate. There's an understanding of HR just can't keep up with the recruiting needs, no matter how many recruiters they hire internally, right? Because the HR department currently struggles with building their own internal talent acquisition capability. Three is the best recruiters want to make a lot of money, 
and they want to be compensated in a certain way. And so they have the opportunity to do that working in the vendor space. They don't usually have that opportunity in-house. And so if I'm an executive recruiter at Corn Ferry, and I make a half a million dollars a year. It's very, un it's very unlikely that if I go and work at General Electric, Johnson & Johnson, Amazon or Google that I'm going to make that same money. Of course, there's always the exception. There's always the, the, the intelligent business person that says, look, I can save $10 million in executive search fees by spending three to five of that internally. And that does happen in some places, but it's not common, right? And I don't think the CFO understands that yet. And a lot of business people aren't going to look at, oh, I should hire a $300,000 recruiter in-house. So all of those different elements are, are kind of lining up for, um, you know, interest in realizing that we need capability on the outside to be able to build capability for us as a company on the inside. And that is music to investment banks and PE firms ears, right? Because what they see is fragmentation, consolidation, service model mix, a demand, and all of a sudden multiples that they weren't used to seeing before. And by the way, now when they pop the hood open and they look at any of these firms, whether you're a consulting firm that sells SOW-based HR consulting, whether you're an executive search firm that does retain work, whether you're a contingency shop that does you know, placements of IT or marketing or e-commerce professionals, or whether you're an RPO shop that has either a volume niche or a specialist niche, um, there's a lot of net income being spun out of these because the volume of need and the revenue growing there. And so I think, you know, the, the industry is something like $500 billion globally right now. I think there's $300 billion or so of that that's in the U.S. You know, just think of where that industry is going as a need of this whole talent marketplace shift. And so the talent economy is changing and firms that do what we do are going to benefit from that. And, and banks and PE firms and venture capitalists are, are, are loving that right now. So it's a it's a perfect storm. <laughs> <laughs> what what does Talento look for in a target firm and how does a search firm set themselves up to be an enticing target company? Yeah, so, so our thought process is like there's different types of targets, right? So you've got search firms that are in business that have typically are owner and founder led, right? Many of the times, right? And you've got a founder that is an excellent account manager, an excellent business developer, clearly has been able to deliver good service, maybe just hasn't been able to scale it. Maybe it's tried, it hasn't worked. The people, you know, there, there's a huge people element to this professional services business, right? Just like in a, you know, a KPMG or a Deloitte or an Accenture, one of these big firms, right? Your business is people. Um, your intellectual property is based in people. And so you've got kind of these executive search firms that have leaders that are still running them and they're successful and they have good brands, but they haven't been able to scale it. That's a target for us, right? Because we have a platform. We want to carry that legacy and we want to wrap our arms around those customers. And then we can actually come in and complement that rich history, that respect, that reputation they have within particular industries, functions within different companies. That's kind of one target for us. Um, another target for us is companies that maybe don't have good sales and marketing engine, right? And what they have is they have like recruiting leaders that have been able to start their own firm, probably had a, you know, had a, a decent Rolodex. They were able to build some type of foundational, you know, multi-million dollar business, but something has changed, right? Either they've tried to sell in market, they haven't been able to kind of figure out what that formula is, um, or personal search circumstances come up. You know, you've got, uh, you know, uh, family and children and different things that kind of come up. Some people just flame out. They're just no longer really interested in, in the entrepreneurial journey, right? The ambition that was maybe once there, um, they, you know, they're complacent. They've, they've made a decent living and, and, and you know, they're, they're through that journey. They've been able to send their kids to college and pay their house off and, 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 and make a good upper middle class income. 
for themselves and they have a good retirement and they've been smart about their money. And so we love those targets, right? Because again, we can, we have the sales and marketing prowess to be able to kind of integrate them in. Um, and then the others are, you know, you have circumstances where you have good firms that just don't have, you know, they don't, they, maybe it's not a recruiting leadership issue. Maybe it's not a sales and marketing leadership issue. Maybe it's just a matter of partners are just no longer getting along or they have different, you know, they have, they have a different vision or you have partners that have, fragmentation within, right? So you'll find a firm where there's a finance and accounting partner, you'll find a firm that has a marketing whiz, and you'll find a firm that maybe has a staffing whiz, and they all had a great idea 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever it may be, to kind of come together and build this firm. And they started to build it. And what ends up happening is one partner is contributing more than the other, <laughs> right? One partner is doing 4 million, the other one is doing six, and there's another one that happens to do 20 or 50, you know, 25. And so it creates... Um, it creates a challenge. And so those are all opportunities that we're open-minded to so long as they've got a good culture, right? Meaning that they respect and they value their people, that that there is not this competitive, negative way of doing business, right? But a healthy, like, hey, if you, I see another person doing great, I want to do good, right? There's positive kind of competitive, right? There's, there's um, shared ambition to want to do well, and there's values and there's moral and there's ethics. Um, and I've worked in firms and been a partner and have, you know, kind of a lot of this stuff is just me learning in the past, right? Just what works and what doesn't work. And that's just ultimately kind of what experience ends up teaching you. Uh, I think the other piece outside of culture is the excellence in which they deliver to their customers, right? Are they playing the same game, right? Are they just kind of sourcing and throwing resumes and seeing what sticks? Or do they really have an innate method, a process, whether it's documented and artifact driven or whether it's like instinctively? you know, do they really know how to match people in a way that makes sense? Yeah. Is the match beyond just sourcing and throwing resumes, but is the match really tied into the business acumen, the understanding of what the customer is trying to achieve, the, ab the ability to articulate back, here's why this person can actually help you achieve what it is that you need to achieve in your department, right? You, that sounds like very simple, but it's actually like something that you commonly see that doesn't actually happen in the recruiting services marketplace today. Um, and it's not just for an executive search, like it's really anything, right? Whether it's a blue collar or white collar job, somebody has to be able to execute certain tasks to be able to be successful in that job. Can your recruiters really match that in a way that makes sense? Um, and so that's kind of the service model and, and their excellence there. And then as a result of that comes, you know, their reputation and their brand. And you're looking at how many, you know, how many of their customers actually come back to them? How many of their customers actually refer them to others? How many of their customers maybe leave Disney and go to, I don't know, to uh, Comcast or some other big company and take them with them? And so those are the things that as you start to um, analyze, you start to see what's the real strength of the firm beyond just what they're kind of telling you is the strength of their firm. And so those are the things that, that we're constantly looking at and, and having worked with Len Scanlon now for the last year and kind of our targeting and our acquisition strategy, right? Working with, uh, with Chris and with Scott, um, we've had an opportunity to really just start to dabble in that marketplace and we're excited to continue to you know continue to build in that partnership execute on a couple of the deals that we've identified this year together um, and continue on that path but we're in no rush to make the wrong acquisitions because the one thing that certainly i've learned is that bad acquisitions are disruptive yeah. um and 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 they're disruptive in a lot of ways right you strap yourself with debt you can potentially acquire the wrong people and all of that is, is counterproductive to what we're trying to pull off, right? Which is we want to be a billion dollar company by 2030. And so the acquisitions that we make while being accretive is important, 
it's not the only thing that's important, right? What's important is the caliber of the people that are coming and their values and their moral and their integrity. How obsessed are they with delivering for their customers? What do their customers think of them? And so all of those kind of, um, those are, I would say, the top three. Of course, there's more, um, but those are the three that I'm certainly most as a CEO obsessed with. Well, I know uh, I know Chris Hunt and Scott Scanlon will uh, appreciate the shout out as well. So thankfully, uh, get to hear their their names. And uh, obviously, they pay my bills. So they're good names to mention. All right. Juan, how important is company culture in this process? I think it's huge, right? I mean, I think there's there's times where you can find a culture that's fragmented and toxic and you can identify who the culprits are, right? And there's times that you can identify cultures that have a lot of good, but maybe have some improvement areas and, and you've got to figure out like what's the root cause of that and you can try and fix it. And there's times where just, you know, frankly, people are beyond jaded and, and buying that firm well, as much as you can think that you're a superhero, you're going to change that and your HR team can come in and kind of wave a magic wand or you can, you know, have 360s and get feedback. Sometimes it's just so, you know, it's beyond broken. So culture is huge, right? Because without, you know, culture is is this like blanket statement, right, on, 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 on companies. And the reality is, is culture is fabric, right? It's moral fabric. It's uh, engagement fabric. It's, it's service fabric. It's marketing fabric. It's sales fabric. And so as you look at culture, it can look good from the top, but as you start to actually talk to the people and learn and, and get opinions and, and get feedback and right, you start to, to really get a good, uh, good ground level view of it. So, I mean, it's, 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 I actually think it's more important than, than some of the other things, right? Because if you find a good culture team that maybe hasn't been in a shop that had strong sales and marketing or strong delivery, but they have a lot of the foundations, you can integrate them into our platform, our system with our leaders with our marketers, with our sales folks, with our vision, with our approach to helping customers' businesses perform at a new level, um, maybe they were under, you know, they're underutilized, and there's an opportunity to really optimize that and bring them in. And so, you know, to me, culture is really the, the the top level piece. But it's not culture because it's like just looking good and feeling good. It's because culture means so much more than just that. How is Talento approaching the M and A activity, and what are your plans for the next year and beyond? Yes, I mean, our, our approach is to double-digit growth year over year. We've got a couple accelerating kind of levers, right, as we look at some larger firms that, that fit the criteria of, of what I've kind of laid out. And so as I've been able to talk through some of these CEOs, you know, they've, I think, I think the good news is they see that we're very human, right? They see that we're not like a big publicly traded company with a bunch of VCPE money that's like, trying to grow ambitiously just for the sake of growth. Like they see that, hey, there's a there's a an opportunity for disruption in our marketplace. We're kind of bringing this fragmentation under one roof, all talent centric, right? Services that that they're like, wow, if I had that, I could really offer that to my customer and I, they would actually buy it from me, right? Or, or hey, if I had recruiting products and services, but I could offer strategy and transformation or development and retention or transition or organization design or M&A integration and due diligence, then, then they're like, hey, I, I could really reposition myself beyond being a recruiter. I could really be a, a, an advisor. And if I tell them, hey, imagine that you had a multi-million dollar customer that you could give this to for free because you're making so much gross profit off of the recruiting work and you had these tools to be able to kind of wrap your arms around them and, sh and show them, hey, I really care. Our CEO cares, our leadership team cares. And so we're looking for, for companies that, that, that are excited by that, right? That aren't just looking at, 
hey, how do I compete with all the Goliaths of the industry by doing the same thing that they're doing? Because it's not really how you disrupt. And it's not really how you can lead and inspire people to come here and want to do something differently than what they've been doing in a huge, large multinational firm that has elements of what we do, but does it differently than what we do. Great. I mean, really phenomenal answers all throughout. Uh, it's been an incredibly insightful process uh, just talking with you and, and understanding as we learn more about the M&A activity in executive search and to learn how your firm has approached this process. Any final thoughts? I mean, you've really given us a lot today. I mean, our thoughts are, you know, we, we are not the type of firm that is looking to come in and just take over and, and, and implement the way that we do things, right? We're looking for partnership opportunities with these firms that are looking for a platform that like, that want to have support. You know, I, I've worked in smaller firms before. I've had partners in my last firm. We grew exponentially. Um, I've worked for somebody before that and, 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 and I've been able to see kind of what that journey looks like. And so our, my approach when I'm, when I'm working with these folks is like, Look, so here's kind of some of the experiences that I've had in the past, working with others, working for others. Here's kind of how we want to do it going forward, right? We want to bring thought leadership to the table. And in many instances, like I'm the younger person in the room as the CEO. And so I want to tap into that wisdom and I want it at the table. And you know, I'm like, look, I, uh, I always use kind of the quote that one of my mentors taught me very early on. You know, your direct reports, just because they're direct reports, may teach you more than you can teach them. Um, and so it's all about kind of, being very transparent at the front is like, look, we have a model, we have a strategy, we have a vision, we have a marketplace that we're addressing. We don't have all the answers. Here's where we want to focus. Here's how we want to go. Here's how we want to hire and train and develop people. Here's the kind of career paths that we have laid out. You know, does this fit with where you would like to leave your firm, right? Because a lot of folks, you know, as an entrepreneur, as much as you care about your customers and the people that work for you, and of course, the revenue and, and then the income piece of that, you care about a legacy, right? You care about leaving your firm and the people that have worked with you for however long in good hands. And so our message is constantly like, hey, as much as we want to evaluate you for fit, you also need to equally evaluate us for fit. Because if you're not on board with how we sound, how we look, how we act, then it's probably not a good fit. There's somebody else that would much rather just care about buying you for your contracts and your revenue backlog and and the customers that you have, and then plugging you into their vanilla play model, and we'll pay you that dollar and cent, but perhaps maybe they won't carry the legacy on in a way that is meaningful to you. Perhaps, you know, you'll feel bad about it in a couple of years. And so there's been multiple people that we've met that have been bought by other companies and are like, wow, I really wish, you know, I had spent more time with you. And I'm like, look, everything happens for a reason. Um, but certainly look, in the last 18 months, um, of kind of starting to point our lasers on the inorganic path versus the organic path, right? Because the first four years for us was all about, great, we say we can do something, let's prove it. Let's let's prove it out at, at some type of scale within some major customers. Let's white paper that, let's business case it. Let's kind of show that we came through and what we thought we were going to do. Now we have a whole leadership team. Now we have multiple markets. Um, and now we have a bunch of inbound sales happening as a result of people from those customers moving on to new companies. Let's tell that story and give them the opportunity to figure out whether they want to be a part of this or not. Um, but we're not out there trying to sell that we're the greatest. We're not out there. We're just saying, look, there's a, we believe there's a billion dollar slice in this $500 billion industry. And here's the way that we want to kind of approach that slice. 
and here's how it's different from what the others do. And these other folks will still exist. And great, you know, we, we talk about kind of the Uber game versus the taxi game. And we're not saying that we're going to be Uber, um, but we certainly believe that the recruitment industry, just like the taxi business and their dominance in the transportation industry for many years of this country, there's a there's there's some similarity and it's no different than the blockbuster and Netflix game and how things went digital. Right. And so industries change. And so this industry will change. And so whether we're at the forefront of that and we lead that shift or whether we're just become a subset and we're like more like maybe the black car service in the transportation world where you have a certain level of service, a certain level of support and expectation, a guaranteed outcome. Right. Because that's ultimately, I think, that where there's a big shift in this industry, too, is that people are realizing, like, OK, great. I can go to a contingency shop and, and hope and bet that they're going to give me something, or I can go to an RPO shop and get some skin in the game and, and get some outcomes. And then there's this kind of middle ground. And so the fact that we can play across kind of all these recruiting marketplaces and then blend in these other services um, as a value add, you know, that's where we think, that's where we think there's a huge marketplace and a huge opportunity. We were just at the conference um, a couple of weeks ago with, with the Hunt Scanlon folks and, and, this was apparent, right? You had the equity analysts from some of these large banks in this country right. saying it themselves, right? And so I, I think the good news is we feel like the marketplace isn't 100% there yet, right? But I think you create the marketplace as you win one customer at a time because the other part of it is customers aren't necessarily used to, they're so used to fragmentation, right? And so when you approach them with a defragmented approach, and hey, I can help you across all these recruiting areas. Plus, I can integrate some of these other value adds. It's an education process for us with customers. The good news is we have these other customers that like love to kind of scream and shout about how great they think it is. And so it's easy to educate and inform. But at, a lot of times, you know, we have to kind of land an account in, in, in one format and then really work very hard and diligently to kind of graduate it and evolve it into the format that we want to kind of be at. And so the good news is we have people that are focused and obsessed with doing that. And I think customers more than ever want to do that because their teams are more strained and compressed than ever. Juan, great stuff today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. And I hope we do it again very soon. Thank you, Rob. It was such a pleasure. My pleasure as well. That's all the time we have here today alongside Juan Gaetan, CEO of Talento Human Capital Management. I'm Rob Adams, and this has been Talent Talks.